Indeed, we are going to talk about stuff your pastor wants you to know. Some of those things are not things that I care if you know that you just saw on the screen. But I have some things that I desperately want you to know. I designed this series of messages, and it's going to be, uh, like I started this back in November when we talked about, I want you to know that Jesus is coming back. Remember that message? If not, I can just preach it again. That'll save me a week of preparation. (laughs) But I have a series of things that I have written down that just says, there are, some, there are some things, there are some stuff that I want you to know while I still have the time to say it. Or things that maybe I've said it before but are just so important that I just want you to know that, you know, of, of these things, I, I got a few things that I just want you to make sure you got nailed down, okay? Uh, so we might not do this every week, but over the next few weeks we're going to talk about stuff I want you to know that your pastor wants you to know before he retires. Now, um, I grew up in church, and I grew up in a godly family, so I have this wonderful, wonderful background. I have a great heritage, and I grew up in Sunday school. I, I, I sometimes feel like I, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have to go to some Sunday school teachers and ask for forgiveness, <laughs> because I wasn't always attentive I remember uh, there was a little sister, Hilton, who would teach the junior boys. I don't know why they just didn't take junior boys, put them in a barrel and lock them in and get them out later, you know. But they, they used to have a class they called junior boys, which were like fifth and sixth graders. So you can imagine, we were horrible. <laughs> and we would have our offerings, and we had our little quarterly books, and we had our Bibles. And so she's trying to teach, and we set up racetracks for our quarters. We would get out our Bibles and make a a hill and then put our quarterlies on them and then race the quarters down. And she's trying to teach and we're just doing this, you know. And it reminds me of a kid who, uh, you know, when when you're in Sunday school, you notice, you know that that they they ask you a lot of questions, you get to raise your hand. And this one time, this uh, little boy was in Sunday school, or uh, all the kids were in Sunday school, and the the teacher said, hey kids, what is about eight inches long, has a fluffy tail, uh, is all furry, and likes to climb in trees? And the kids all were waiting for a moment, and one little kid raised his hand, and he said, I think the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel. Because when you were in Sunday school, the answer to every question was Jesus, right? Well, the fact is, is that Jesus is the answer all the time. And that's actually what I wanted to talk to you about today was, if there's something I want you to know, it's this, that we need to take Jesus home with us. Not just have Jesus in our church, Jesus in our class, or Jesus in our youth group, but that we would take Jesus home with us. I lived in a home where we were in church a lot. I mean, I don't know how they had, they planned so many church things. We, we were there for so many things. We went on, we went to Sunday school on Sunday morning, then we had church just after that, and then we would go home and, uh, and, and we would, my parents would take a nap, and that meant I, we had to be quiet for a while while they took their nap. And then of all things, I don't know if people still do this, sometimes we would take a Sunday afternoon drive. We just get in the car and go nowhere, you know. 
gas was 17 cents a gallon. It's no problem, you know. So we would just drive around and take a drive. Then we would go to, to youth meeting. When I was old enough to go to youth meeting, we'd go to youth meeting, which started before church. And, uh, and so we, we would sit there in youth meeting. It was kind of funny. You have to understand, for those of you who don't know this culture that I grew up in, it was Assembly of God Church much like this, but the culture was 1960s. And uh, so we would all the youth would sit on the first two rows, and then all the elderly people would sit in the back rows, and they would have like Bible quiz. They'd say, all right, uh, you know, they'd ask a question. Before we could answer, the people in the back, the old people yell out the answer, it's Samson! It's like, give me a chance, man, it's fine. Then after youth meeting, we had Sunday night church, which started around 7.30 or 8. It started late because a lot of the people in our church were farmers, and they had to take care of the cattle and, the, and all the things before they got there. And we used to say, well, back in the old days, church went till 9.30. Well, it started at 8. That wasn't too surprising, you know. Uh, we'd get home exhausted, and we'd have a bowl of Cheerios, and my mom would put me to bed. But that wasn't all. On Wednesday night, we had Bible study. We went to that. And then on Friday night, we had prayer meeting. We went to that. And then usually somewhere around there, we'd invite everybody over to our house. So it wasn't hard to have Jesus in your life because you were in church all the time. But there was something else about our family. We actually had Jesus in our house too. We just didn't have Jesus because we went to a church that had a schedule and did stuff. We had Jesus in our house. And I, I, today I want to just talk to you on that very topic. I would like you to take Jesus home with you. And as I leave you as pastor, one of the things that is most important in my mind is, is I want to have a group of people that I have led who, say, who could honestly say, I don't just serve Jesus on Sunday or when there's an event. I just don't serve Jesus when there's a home group or when there's a potluck. I serve Jesus and he's in my life every day. That I have taken Jesus home with me. So today my, my sermon is just titled this, Take Jesus Home With You. Take Jesus home with you. Let him be in your life, follow him every day, that your home would be a household of faith. You could take Jesus home with you if you're single. You could take Jesus home with you if you have an extended family at your house. It doesn't matter. You could take Jesus home with you. Most everything I'm going to say today applies to you no matter if you're home alone or if you're home with a, with a bunch of people. But I'm also going to share a few things for families. Now, taking Jesus home with you, first of all, is a choice. I want you to hear that. That's very important. Taking Jesus home with you is a choice. He doesn't hitchhike home with you. He doesn't get in the back seat of the car and you get home and ah, he snuck in the house. <laughs> no, you take Jesus home with you by choice. As a matter of fact, this whole this whole thing that I'm going to talk today to you about results from a choice, from a right choice, from a good choice. Joshua spoke to the people of, uh, that he had led into the promised land in chapter 24 of his book, and he said this. He says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day who you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He was saying, you got to make a choice, folks. 
there is a lot of directions you can go. He said, where they were living, there were gods in the land, in Canaan. He said, in the place we came from, there were gods over there that you could serve. There are gods on the other side of the river. There are gods everywhere we look. There are choices for you to make. You can choose all these false things, or you can choose the Lord. He says, but just so it's clear, I've made a choice for my house. We're going to serve the Lord. All the things I'm going to talk to you about today, this little list I'm going to give you of, of practical things, all come down to a choice. No matter if you're alone or if you are many in your household, you can make that choice today. Joshua asked the people to see a distinction, that there, there, is, a, there, is, a, there, are, there is a house that has the Lord, in the house, in the, as, as Lord of the house, or is there is the house that has ignored the Lord and left him at the temple or left him at the church. David spoke of that in Psalm 119, and he said he had made a choice. He said, I have chosen the way of truth. He says, I made a choice. I have set my heart upon your laws. I hold fast to your statutes. I run in the path of your commands for you have set my heart free. In response to what you've done for me, God, I have chosen your way. I've set my heart on you. He said, this is just, uh, I I run in it. It's, It's a freedom in my life. He says, this has set my heart free. I want you to know that this choice that Joshua put out to the people was not something that was heavy and burdensome, but it was life giving. The choice I'm offering to you today to take Jesus home from church and let him be in your home as Lord is life-giving. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses wrote this coming from the Lord, talking to the people about how that choice would determine the level of blessing or disappointment their life had. Speaking as a prophet, God spoke through him and said, I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. Now, I don't know how much clearer the Bible can be. How many times he says, I've given you the choice. And this choice is not just a difference of a nuance, a a little bit here or a little bit there. He says, no, the choice that you're making is a choice between life and death. The choice to take Jesus home with you, not just to have a a church Jesus, but a a Jesus who lives in your life as Lord every day, to, to make that choice is the difference between life and death. It's the difference between blessing and curse. It's the difference between disappointment or blessing in your life. And he says, this is simply done by committing yourself firmly to him. And I love the way he ends this. This is the key to your life. This is why, as your pastor, I say, I really want you to get this before I'm done. This is the key to your life. I I, I want to tell you, over the years, uh, the, the, the homes that stay together, the people who go on and do blessing in ministry, 
the people who are consistent, who, who lead a ministry, who lead others to Christ, who make disciples, they are making this choice. It's not that they're more talented, liked better by the leadership, or something like that. No, it's that they make that choice. It's the key to your life. It's the key to your life. So today, I want to talk to you about some specifics, how to make that choice. The first one is this. I want to encourage you to take Jesus' word into your house. You don't want to just get Jesus' word when you come to church. Nobody probably has the church schedule I grew up with, you know, with that, you know, always, always at the church kind of thing. We don't do that kind of thing anymore. That makes it even more important that we take Jesus' word home with us. We have, to, we, have to, we have to be people of the word personally, not just I heard it when I, when I heard the preacher. In Deuteronomy, again, Moses is giving this solid direction to the Israelite people. He says this, and right from God's heart, right through Moses' mouth, Moses said, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and we walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. If we were to say it today, he'd say, these commands that I'm giving to you are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children, and talk about them when you're in the SUV, taking them to school. Talk about them again when you're walking to the park. Talk about them when you are going to put the kids down at bed at night. And when you get up in the morning, speak of them again. When God's Word becomes the central focus of a life, that person cannot help but be growing. The Bible says, let the Word of God dwell richly in you. That speaks of growth, to be in us and to be growing. Your spiritual growth is not dependent on the ability of your preacher to give it to you. Your spiritual growth is based in the power that is inherently in the Word of God. Take Jesus' Word home with you so that it is not simply a Sunday experience. Impress that into your heart. I love that word impress. Impress them into your children. Just impress it. David described that as meditation. He says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I won't sin against you. How can a young man keep his way pure? I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I, I, I made a list of benefits that comes from that impression of God's word in our lives. If you will hear this today and take, take it to heart, you'll say, man, I need God's Word. Here's some benefits. It's the source of faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing the Word of God. It's the source of truth, which helps us to dis- have a distinction between truth and lo- falsehood. Jesus said you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It brings freedom to our lives. As I just said, Jesus said the truth is a source of freedom for us. It sets us free from our bondages. It's protection from error, and it corrects us when we need correction. 
Paul spoke to Timothy about that, about the power of the correction of the Word of God in our lives. It's spiritual food. Jesus said it's more important than physical food. He says uh, the, the Word is more powerful than physical food. We need, the, we need the Word. The Word gives victory over temptation. That's the very thing Jesus did when tempted. He used the Word of God. It reveals our personal thoughts and motives and aligns us in order to walk properly. It gives guidance. David said that the Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. How many times you will find in your life that you receive guidance in what to do because you've been in the Word will be amazing. It comforts us in our times of distress. I remember when my father died, how the Word of God just came into my heart one night when I was out on his farm and he was gone and I was dealing with selling the cattle and getting rid of the tractors and the implements and his truck and, 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 and I was having a hard night and one of the pieces of equipment actually kind of crashed and it got hurt a little bit and I was just falling apart. And it was a starry night. It was, it was late fall, but it was a starry night. And I felt the Word of God speak to me almost audibly. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And it just encouraged me. My dad's not gone. He's with the Lord. There will be times in your life when the Word will say something to you that no counselor, no friend, no person else, nobody could do it but the Word. It enables us to pray with authority. I was telling the folks this morning that Del Mann who served us here as, a, as one of our elders. When we have our weekly prayer meeting, so often when we come to an issue of prayer, Dell will say, may I say something? We'll say, yeah. He'll say, here's what the Word says about this. And he'll, he'll quote the Bible regarding the prayer that we're about to make. And we all go with authority into the, into the presence of God. It gives us assurance of who we are, who we belong to, and where we're going. It gives joy. And it prepares us to do good works. Now, if that list isn't enough to motivate you to want more of the Word, I can't tell you much more. The Word of God dwelling richly in us. Take the Word of God home with you. You can also take Jesus home with you by making it a decision that you're going to pass on a spiritual heritage to those in your family. You're going to pass on a spiritual heritage. You may say, well, I'm just a... Uh, a grandparent living at home by them ourselves, or I don't have children anymore, or I've always been single. You have got somebody in your life that you can pass a spiritual heritage on to. There is somebody, you can go to the next slide, there is somebody in your life who you can give that spiritual heritage to. As a matter of fact, if you are not finding someone to pass on a heritage to, it's time to wake up and start looking. I'm going to, I'm going to make a difference in another generation of believers. Paul wrote to Timothy about the power of a spiritual heritage. And I love the scripture because it says this. He says, Timothy, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and then in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, now lives in you also. What made Timothy such a powerful man of God was largely mom and grandma. Mom and grandma, they made a big difference in Timothy's life. I'm sure they had no idea when he was just young that someday Timothy would be a pastor in the early churches of Asia. He would be appointing leaders into ministry, appointing elders, appointing pastors, becoming the recipient of two of the most beloved books of the Bible, 
That all happened because a couple of ladies said, we have a spiritual heritage to give. It made a difference. And by the way, later Paul said to Timothy, the recipient of this heritage, he said, take the things that you have in your life and entrust them to men who are trustworthy, who will in turn give it to others, who will in turn pass it on to others. We're talking about at least six generations here. Spiritual heritage. You take Jesus home by making a multi-generational influence. Live it. Make it your inheritance and give it to somebody else. You take Jesus home kind of in the same vein by guiding your children. Children need guidance, folks. You can go to that next slide for us. You take that home by guiding your children. Almost every... Uh, everybody realizes that children need guidance, but I think we need to be (laughs) reminded of it today. Children need guidance. It seems like in our world today, there's a a movement to say, well, we need to let our children kind of discover their own truths or their own way. Uh, I I hear sometimes parents say, and and I'm not saying Christian parents say this, but I hear it out in the world. Well, I'm going to let children, uh, my kids, discover on their own if they want to be spiritual or if they want to, if they want to be religious. I'm going to let them kind of discover that on their own. What a thing to waste and miss. We're to raise our children in the fear of the Lord. And this is, this is an opportunity. Uh, Pastor Brent mentioned months ago, the Bible speaks about how arrows in the hand of a, an archer are our children, that we're aiming them, we're, we're firing them off toward a target. There's a familiar proverb that I think is often misunderstood or or largely misunderstood, and and please don't think me a heretic to say, I think I have a different view of this this proverb, and I'm going to explain to you why. Proverbs 22.6 says this. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he was old, he will not turn from it. Or different translations, it'll say depart from it or whatever. And I'm going to be honest with you. I have talked through the decades with distressed parents who have said, I trained my children in a godly way. I took them to church, Sunday school. We had family devotions. And then later in life, they went off the deep end. They went away from God. And they said, is not God's word true? And they would quote that scripture. How many have ever wondered about it? Come on, honestly. So I I began to study this months ago. I went back and I read some Hebrew scholars. I went and I looked at the original translations because I, th- I thought, God, I want to depend on your word. And it, it, but practice kind of says that there are some kids who do depart from it. So what's the, what's the, what's the deal here, God? So I found this out, and, and bear with me as we look at this together. In the Hebrew translation, or the original Hebrew of this verse, there is no descriptor or qualifier the word right or should or anything like that. So when we say train up a child in the way he should go, the word, the word should was placed by English translators in order to try to modify it to make sense to us. But here's how it reads. You can go to the next slide. Here's how it reads in the original Hebrew. Train a child in his way, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Original Hebrew says train a child in his way, That's what Solomon said, train a child in his way, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. As I I looked further, 
Hebrew scholars say, here's what it is saying. Go to the next slide. If you give a child his way when he is young, then when he is old, he will insist on having his way. Does that put a new light on it for you? And how many of you found that is definitely true? You let a child have his own way in life. When he's old, he's going to insist on having his way. Making this not so much a promise as it is a warning. That warning, folks, if we let children grow up in their own way, having their way, telling, every, telling the adults, telling the parents how it should be and what's going to happen then we're going to have children when they grow old saying, I've always had my way and I'm always going to have my way. Solomon actually said more things about this that amplify it. In Proverbs 19.18, he said this, Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Well, there's another cautionary phrase, huh? (laughs) Discipline him... When he's young, that's when there's hope. But you let him become old, you have become a party to his failure. Children need and thrive on corrective discipline. They need boundaries and correction in their lives. Again, Solomon said, discipline your son and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. There is a call for us. If we bring Jesus home, one of the things we're bringing into our home is godly raising of children. There's, and I, I told you that most of this message was for everybody, but right now I'm talking to parents and grandparents, anybody who has influence in a child's life. There is a tendency, a modern, I guess you might say, or a postmodern, would be probably more correct, uh, a philosophy that many are following that says you should not tell your children no or be negative to them in any way because you will stifle them. Now, first of all, I'm going to say some children need stifled. But they're saying, you'll be negative to them. They're going to learn negativity. They're not going to grow. They're not going to mature. You need to let them. You never say no. Always just help them be creative and to find their way. And there are proponents of this. If you don't believe me, Google it and just look at all the blogs, all the, all the books, all the articles written about don't say no to your kids. I read one Uh, article by a proponent that said some of the trouble they were having with this. They said, my kid will say, can we get ice cream on the way home? I respond, oh, it's not our day for ice cream. We get ice cream on Fridays. Then the child, my child pushes and negotiates and I think, well, I need to honor my child's opinion. And I'll say, fine, we'll get ice cream today, but please remember on Friday that we got ice cream on Tuesday. So they get the ice cream on Tuesday. Then this person says, to my dismay, when Friday comes, guess what's happening? I want ice cream. But we said, but I want ice cream. Now she's left with the problem of, I don't know how to say no. I don't know what to say. A teacher who was a part of this article laughed and said, every year parents come to me and say, why won't my child listen to me? Why won't she take no for an answer? And I respond, your child will not take no for an answer because the answer is never no. And folks, I'll tell you what, what happens to the child who is never told no when they're a child when they become adult and they enter the real world where they are told no? 
God forbid they join the Marines. Because on the job, you're told no. When you get to college, you're told no. When you, go, when you begin to get a, when you get your first job at McDonald's, you need to tell them, I'm not going to come today. I just don't feel like it. You're told, don't come back. We have to learn how to receive the answer of no. Be told that was naughty, that wasn't godly. A lady from... Great Britain, and it's important I tell you Great Britain because the story makes more sense when you hear it's from Great Britain, uh, who, who was a proponent of not saying no. She said, one of the problems I'm having is this. My children come and they say, I want to watch TV and have extra biscuits. Now, for those of you, you're going, biscuits? Who cares about biscuits? In England, a biscuit is a cookie. So the child says, I want to watch TV and have extra biscuits. I don't want to say no partly because I have three children who are pestering me and I'm trying to work from home and I don't want to negotiate. How many have ever been worn down by that? Instead, I explain to them the implications of filling up on biscuits. They will get a tummy ache. They will not have room for dinner later. And yes, of course, I let them have their biscuits. child hasn't learned anything. You see, we need to learn how to say no. I'm not saying we say no without explaining why. You get on an airplane with your kid and you're going to be on a five-hour flight and your child decides their entertainment for the flight is kicking the seat in front of them where there's a person sitting. And that's uncomfortable. And so you don't turn to the child and say, do you think we could find another activity? No, you just say, you need to stop kicking that seat now, there's a man in front of you who finds this very uncomfortable, and you do it again, and we're going to have a problem. You know, my, my dad used to say, don't forget, son, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. <laughs> it's, it's always, always, always helpful to be instructive to the child when we say no. The reason we're doing this, son, is this. The reason you're getting... The spanking. You see, I, I, I used to get spankings. My, my parents called it the seat of learning. The Board of Education was applied to the seat of learning. And, uh, but it wasn't always spankings. One time, when I was in high school, every winter Saturday, I had to help clean the barn. This is not where a high school junior wants to be on a Saturday. You want to be taking your car somewhere, going with your friends. But we had cattle. We had about 20 head, and they would spend the winter in the barn a lot, and, they, and we would spread straw on the ground for them, and then they would thank us by pooping in the straw all week long, and, and, and by the time you get in there a week later, it's a mess. And my dad would wake me up every Saturday from, from November through March, He'd come in my room and say, son, we're going to clean the barn or we're going to have to move it, which never made any sense. I didn't know what the connection between cleaning it and moving it was, but I got up and I dutifully went out and we would, we would clean that barn. We'd, throw, we'd, we'd, we'd get all the mess out. We'd throw it out the window. And then later in the spring, it was my job to, to, to take that all in wheelbarrows and put it on our giant garden. We had about a one-acre garden and I would help move all the, uh, the manure there. 
Well, one Saturday I was helping and I wasn't enjoying it and I wasn't happy that I was there and I was upset and ticked and my dad and I are in there both working and I had a pitchfork with a long handle, just like a long-handled shovel, and I pushed it way deep into the, into the straw, which is a matted, manure mess, and then I pushed way down on the handle, way up here at the top, and it snapped off the handle right down by the furrow of the fork. And I said to my dad, Oh, look, the fork is broke. And my dad was a smart man. He knew my motive. He knew what was going on. He turned and looked at it and he goes, wow, that is going to make it harder. <laughs> and I'll tell you, it did. I, I, I had no idea I could clean the barn, basically in my hands and knees, you know. Uh, but discipline, discipline is so important, folks. You know, I heard somebody say, I was disciplined by my parents when they said, you can't run out and play in the street, but I live to tell about it. Discipline saves lives. And, and so I, I just want to encourage you, don't just seek to make peace. Don't just seek to make a problem go away. Help your children to grow. Ask yourself, how does this decision today in discipline help them become what I want them to be as an adult? It's kind of funny. I remember all these stories because they helped form me as an adult. Number last one, number whatever it is. I want you to take Jesus home by embracing the miraculous in your household. By saying, hey family, let's believe for miracles in our house. I can't tell you about all the miracles that happened in our house. Financial miracles that happened to my family healing miracles that happened in our family, guidance that came from the Holy Spirit for our family growing up. And we were, as children, we were brought into that experience and we were a part of every one of those miracles. One time there was a man who lived in an area of the world called Cana of Galilee, and he had heard that Jesus was in the region. Canaan was a difficult place spiritually. Jesus performed his first miracle there, but not many after because he said it's difficult for a prophet in his own hometown. But Jesus was there, and here comes this man from Canaan of Galilee seeking Christ. He must have walked overnight because on his trip home it took him two days to get home. So he took a great distance to find Jesus to get there. And the Bible says that uh, he came to Jesus and he said, Sir, come down before my child dies. He's asking Jesus to walk two days with him. Come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go, your son may live. The scripture tells us that he had a fever. He was dying. Jesus said, you may go, your son will live. And look at the faith of this man. So the man took Jesus at his word and departed. He trusted Jesus with his son's life. He was looking for the miraculous. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired... As to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time that Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Now here's the point I want you to get out of this story. How this this father brought the miraculous into his home. Because it says, so he and all his household believed. The miracle 
that came home with them not only saved that son from a fever, but the whole household became believers. Bringing the miraculous into your home will put an indelible stamp on your family. If it's just a couple, or if you're even a single, or if you've got children or grandchildren, letting them be a part of the miraculous and taking steps of faith for the miraculous will make an eternal difference for them. It will make them into lifelong followers of Christ. When I was a little boy, I went out and one summer and walked in our gravel driveway, and I got a piece of glass embedded in the bottom of my foot. And we tried to get it out. My parents set me up on the kitchen counter, and in a highly technical medical procedure, they took a needle and a, and, a, and, and, a, and, a, and a candle and burned the needle black and then said, there, it's clean. And, and away we went, you know, and went digging into the bottom of my foot. My foot was all swollen. It was all festered. It was, it was weepy. It was, uh, I couldn't get a shoe on. It was so inflamed and so, um, you know what I mean. It was a mess. And they had me up on that counter, and my dad is holding me. My mom's got my leg inside a a lock like this, and she's digging on that thing and churning around in there. And she says, I feel it, I feel it, but I can't get it, and I'm screaming. And finally, after they had enough, they just couldn't put up with it anymore. They said, well, okay, that's it. Tomorrow we're going to have to go to the doctor. And I thought, well, he won't put up with any nonsense. That guy's going to get it out. You know, I'm not happy at all. Well, then we had, I told you earlier how important it is to have God's Word in your house. Then we had family altar time. We called it family altar. It was devotional time. And my parents would read to us uh, sometimes from a Bible, uh, from the Bible. Sometimes they would read, and I, I never figured this out as an adult as I look back, but they, they got a hold somehow of the, of the teacher edition of the adult Sunday school quarterly for our Sunday school, and they would read us that teacher edition every night, you know, a little portion out of that. It so had commentary and stuff in it, and I was just, and I'd get sleepy and uh, so we, we got done with the story or with the reading, and then it was time for us to pray, and we would all kneel down around the living room in a different place. And I was the youngest, so I always went first, and I prayed my prayers. I prayed for my mom, my sister, my dad, prayed for different things, my aunts and uncles and things. And then I would go to sleep while everybody else prayed. My sister would do hers, and then my parents would pray. I have no idea how long prayer went because I was asleep. We got done with that prayer time that night, and my dad came over and he tapped me on the shoulder. He says, hey, Moochie, wake up. My dad called me Moochie. He said, Moochie, wake up. It's time to go to bed. And I turned over onto my bottom and I grabbed my foot and I looked at the bottom of my foot and I began to cry out to my parents, the glass is gone. The glass is gone, I said. And they said, what do you mean? And they grabbed me, you know, here. I thought, oh, no, they grabbed my foot again. Uh, they grabbed my foot and they looked and they said, And the bottom of my foot no longer had a piece of glass in it, and it was no longer swollen, it was no longer fester, it was no longer weeping. There wasn't even a hole there anymore. There was just a little red line where it all had happened. Jesus came and took it out. You think I forgot? When you live in the miraculous from time to time, it puts a mark on you. Folks, Begin to believe in the miraculous in your home. Not just the pastor came and prayed, not just we came forward to pray, but that, you, you know, they never called the pastor and said, Todd's got a piece of glass in his foot. Can you come on down? They prayed. They prayed. 
Bring the miraculous into your home. Pray for the deliverance of your family. Pray for the healing of your sicknesses. Pray for, for, pray for a financial miracle. Pray that, pray that all these things happen through the power of God. As you do, your life will be changed. Your family will be changed. You'll have Jesus in your home in a way you never thought possible. Be like that man who said, I took Jesus home to my family that day when I went and saw him. What would it look like today for you to bring Jesus home to your house? What would it look like right now if you brought Jesus home? Maybe you'd change some things. Not that, you know, oh, I'd be embarrassed to have him over thing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you just are bringing him into the center. Where you're just saying, I'm putting him into the center of how I discipline my kids. I'm going to become the dog wagging the tail, not the other way around when it comes to discipline. I'm I'm going to pray for the miracles of God to be in our family, in our finances, in our, in our relationships, in our physical needs. I'm going to believe for the miracles. We're going to bring God's Word into our house. You know, I told you that <laughs> I thought some of the stuff we read was way over our heads, but it must have stuck. It must have stuck. What happens if you bring Jesus home? What would change? Would you bow your heads with me now and just ask yourself that question? In what new way can I bring Jesus home from church and into my house? I didn't touch on a lot of things that we could have touched on, but I think this is plenty for a start. With Jesus in my house, what would change? And what would you like to bring in now? In what way would you want to invite him in now for a transformation in your home? I want to pray with you. I'm going to try to touch on several things, and I just want you to say, yes, God, yes, that's me. That's what I want. Lord, I pray today over the men and women of this church, the students that are here, everybody who's here, those who are at home watching right now, saying, yes, I want Jesus in my home, not just Jesus in a religious church experience, but Jesus in my home. Lord, I pray that today people who would say, God's word has not really dwelled in my home God's Word has been something that the preacher preaches to us out of. I pray, Lord, that now the Word of God would dwell richly in our homes, bring it into our houses. I pray that Jesus would be there in miraculous power, that we would see miracles released through our prayers, that we we would dare to stand up and say, I'm going to ask God for this. I'm going to ask God for healing. I'm going to ask God for a touch in our finances. I'm going to ask God to heal our family, our relationship. I'm going to ask God to come and to do the miraculous and to put a stamp on our lives that is something that we could never forget. Today, Lord, I pray that you would bring us to a new place of putting Jesus into the lordship of our homes. We invite you in, Lord, to our house. Even now, as we're just open to you, change our homes. We take Jesus home with us today. We thank you for it, Lord. Amen. I want you to stand with me today. I'm going to send you home with a blessing today from Psalm 24. 
that speaks of the people who make this choice. For those of you that are at home, I'd even like to ask you to stand up at home and just raise your hands with all of us that are right here and say amen to this promise. Amen to this. Receive this in Jesus' name. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He whose heart... He who has a clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from his God and his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Let us go being that generation. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.